referrals to other agents are the most dollar productive activity you could ever ever do. Uh, Dr. Fred Gross talks about that concept, DPA, dollar productive activity. Now, here's the example. I'll get 25% of somebody's commission by making a one or two minute phone call or email. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Bill Risser, General Manager of U.S. Sales and Marketing for Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform allowing you to leverage the power of your verified reviews. Listen in as I interview leaders in the industry, getting their backstories and their journey to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 262 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, it's another one of those guests I've never met in person, but we've been connected nearly a decade on Facebook. I'm talking about Ira Serkis of Compass Realty and berkeleyhomes.com. Ira's got a very interesting story. Born in the Bronx, been in Berkeley since 1974, and a realtor for the last 36 years. I love talking about that journey, and he's got some great ideas and tips for realtors in the business today. Ira, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. I'm delighted to be here. It's a beautiful morning in Berkeley. Yeah, we're going to talk about Berkeley in a little while, but but first, I got to start. I love... I love discovering, you know, what how people grew up, where they grew up, and you've got you're going to have a classic story. I can tell you grew uh, up in New York City, New York City, and really specifically the Bronx, which I've been there, but only to go to Yankee Stadium, and that's what I think of when I think of the Bronx. It's where the Yankees are. It's you know, I know it's a it's a maybe it's the D train or the seven train from Manhattan up into the Bronx, but uh, what am I missing about that that borough? You know, that, that maybe let's talk about the Bronx of your childhood. Okay. Well, well, first of all, it's the only borough on the mainland. So as uh, Manhattan, Staten Island, and Brooklyn and Queens, which are on Long Island, sail off into the ocean, we're still attached to the rest of the country. So that's the most important thing you need to know about. Secondly, the Bronx is home of the Bronx Zoo. And I grew up on Bronx Park East, so I had a view of the zoo, and we'd go there frequently. And, and now that I've actually uh, had a trip to uh, a trip to Kenya with great friends, Laura Duggan, I don't think I'm ever going to go to a zoo again because seeing elephants in the wild is unlike seeing them in a zoo. The other thing I have is a botanical gardens, a really great botanical gardens are celebrated by Fordham Road, Pelham Parkway. And I grew up in Pelham Parkway neighborhood, which uh, as most neighborhoods in the Bronx are strongly ethnic, whether it's Irish, Italian, Hispanic, Puerto Rican. And that's been one change I've seen, but it's simply been that the, the ethnic neighborhoods have just changed to different ethnicities. So now what used to be an old Jewish neighborhood is now Albanian. And it's really neat. It, it changes and everybody kind of looks back to the old days, but the old days are, they're always were changing. You know, growing up there. So you went to a, I'm sure you went to a school that started with the letters PS. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I went to a PS 105, junior high school 127 in, in Parkchester and the Bronx High School of Science. Um, now I, I'm going to talk about Steve Pincus and Arthur Pincus and my mother Lillian and my mother's best friend. But I was fortunate I followed Steve. Steve went to Bronx Science, so I applied and I got into Bronx Science. 
And then Steve went to Cooper Union for engineering school and chemical engineering. And so I applied and I got into, uh, into chemical engineering school. And, and while we're doing, uh, we're doing audio, I will show you my slide rule. So you're going to have to, uh, oh my gosh, describe. I still have my slide rule. He pulled, I can't, I haven't seen one of those IRA in 35 years. This is, uh, <laughs> Also known as a slipstick, but for those uh, those who read, this is my Madeline, because the slide rule has a scent. It has a beautiful wood inside of it, and it has a scent that's now fifty years is still as strong as it was when I bought it from a uh, pawn shop on Second Avenue and Tenth Street. So those memories come flooding back, right? Yeah, they really, really do. And I was just reading in yeah. an ancient um, National Geographic how the most powerful memories you have are actually smell and scent. Yeah. And, and I actually believe that. It's really interesting. So science was great. And there was a, uh, there was a subway strike in New York. It often had strikes. So we went to the local high school, uh, Christopher Columbus High School on um, Pelham Parkway. And after the sitting in our class, we went up to the teacher and said, oh, you just used circular reason or circular logic on that explanation, didn't you? And he said, oh, yeah, I did, but they'll never tell the difference. And that's when I knew I'd gone to the right school. <laughs> so, so you had to go to another school because of the you couldn't get to, to the, the Bronx School of Science. So you went to the local school. Now, the thing that's distinctive about Bronx Science, the rumors they had a chance to put up a install a pool or put up a mural because they put up a mural the thing about the mural is if you look carefully at it madame curie is holding up a beaker and the beaker is miraculously positioned behind her hand so that's just one of the many miracles of going to Bronx science that's awesome so that that leads you though you mentioned cooper union and i have to be really honest i've never heard of it before and and the the I love the title or the name of the school, Cooper Union for the Advancement of Science and Art. Yes. That doesn't sound like they go together for most people. Well, you have to have context. But first, let me give you a background. I, I grew up in an extremely wealthy family in the Bronx. Uh, we just didn't have any money. So I could go to any school I wanted to, anywhere in the United States. It didn't matter where, just as long as I could live at home and it was free. So that left Coop Union and City College, and I got into Coop Union once again because Steve Pincus got into Coop Union. But I'm going to bring you back many, many years. Uh, 1859 was when Coop Union was founded. It's near and dear to our heart. We're updating our living trust, and they're getting a significant amount of what our estate will be because we feel a strong obligation to give back to the people that gave to us. I'm only here because of the uh, the contributions and largesse of other people. And so it's very simple to say, okay, what can we do to give back? And uh, all my children, at least that I know of, have four legs and fur. So, uh, you know, we'll give them something too. So they'll stay in cat litter the rest of their life and, and cat food. But um, giving back to the library and Coop Union and Bronx Science and all these things are really very important to us. So Cooper wow. Union, 1859, Peter Cooper, he had um, the framework of the building was, I think, the first framework made of structural steel. And it was before it was built before elevators were invented. 
but he figured somebody would build and create an elevator. So he left a circular hole in the building going from the basement to the top floor for the elevator shaft. Peter Cooper was an entrepreneur. And um, back then, people were, it was free in 1859. And so art and architecture and engineering were just disciplines, I think, that people did as opposed to the liberal arts of the humanities. Peter Cooper had a glue, glue factory. The glue factory, from I understand, was sited at Lexington Avenue and 42nd Street. For some reason, they took down the glue factory and built on top of it, but they never sold land. They kept the land on a land lease. And I'm looking forward to the day where they decided to uh, cancel the land lease, tear down the Chrysler building, and put the glue factory back up. <laughs> so they... The lease from the Chrysler Building land lease payments help pay for tuition. And uh, wow, is it a great story? It's that, not, that it's is so cool. awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Ah, that's and amazing. The Chrysler Building to me is uh, I love the Empire State. It's a yin and yang, but the Chrysler Building is off the charts, astonishing yeah. Art Deco gem, spectacular. Um, so look, you're an engineer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At your very core. And yeah. you went to UMass Amherst for your master's in chemical engineering. This is your life. Real estate is nowhere in the picture. I'm just guessing, right? Oh, gosh, you, you better believe it. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I can almost do a direct quote from my master's thesis at UMass. At 20, I had my last life plan. No, no, it was my book that I co-authored. That's what it was from. Uh, Noel Press, How to Buy a House in California, now sold over 150,000 copies in the 16th wow. through 17th edition. Go to noel.com or call me to buy a house. In the acknowledgments, I said, at 20, I had my life planned. At 20, I have no idea what lies ahead. At 60, I have no idea how prescient I was at 40. And in a few weeks, I turned 71. And I can't wait for the next third of my life. <laughs> That's great. I do some research on guests, and, and, uh, and I'm really and you, impressed. But you have some patents, and I, I'm like, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a guest on the podcast who's got a couple of patents out there for some work you did. Yeah, uh, and I'm gonna. It was something about polymerization. And you so, said it correctly. <laughs> I did good, good. Very so good. I'm gonna guess it has to do with polymers, which wow. are, <laughs> I'm getting a there. Giant, uh, a giant leap of of faith. And you're, you're, you're really, made really scary. Of, really scary. And so let's uh, let's talk for a second about that. Yeah, uh, polymerization is the process of connecting chemicals, creating polymers. Nylon is one of. I worked on a nylon fork project, and the purpose was to polymerize two pyrrolidone into a nylon fork product. It never got commercialized, but it was really kind of fun to see my name on the patents with uh, Kai Katsumoto and Byron Anchus and. I want to come back to something because it's like, how did I get to Chevron, which is really the telling story. And I think the theme of, of my, uh, of today's talk, which is simply to be aware of opportunities. Remember I talked about at 20, I had my life planned. I can trace back exactly how I got to be talking to you right now. I can also tell you it's utterly, absolutely unpredictable from growing up in the Bronx. But what I can look back is every moment had a decisive moment. Like uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson has the decisive moment on photography. There was a moment that might have lasted 20 or 30 seconds or perhaps a minute, which changed the direction of my life. This one was I'm working in a computer lab and Chuck Quinlan comes in and says, hey, you ought to send an application to Chevron out in Richmond 
which is near San Francisco in Berkeley, um, they're looking for people who are doing what you do because I was doing hybrid computer simulation. And that one conversation got me to be in Berkeley, California. And it happened again and again. So I'm really, that's my mission is to let people be aware of these, of these moments and recognize them ideally in time. And also to recognize that real estate is not your life. It simply funds your life. And uh, I'll talk about travels in a little bit, but, um, you know, it's not life and death. The thing that's really important is to live your life in a way that you, when you look back, uh, you, you don't say, gee, I wish I had done something. Ira, I, um, I've, I've been, I've spent 20 years in the business and I'm not even close to where you're at. We'll talk about that shortly, but for 10 years, I ran a branch, uh, for Chicago title and, um, the combination of engineers and real estate, while I think on the realtor side is fantastic, but I'm going to tell you right now, when when I knew and w- or anyone in the office knew that we're doing a closing <laughs> and the buyer, <laughs> we look at the loan application and the buyer was an engineer, I took special pains. Uh, this is, I'm going to real share this real quick. Special pains to stay away? <laughs> nope. I embraced it. I was in. Here's my deal. I knew how to explain how they calculated APR on the good old fashioned truth and lending. Remember that document? Yeah, yeah. Because every time an engineer came in, you couldn't just say, oh, this is just kind of a representation of the fees thrown in you know, yeah. to the actual interest rate, but it's not your real interest rate. That didn't work. Yeah. So what I did is I, after I went through the HUD one, I'm, I'm old school, pre all this other closing yeah. disclosures, but after I, I do the HUD one first, the next document was truth and lending. And I went straight to, this is how it's calculated, the exact numbers. And once I could do that and show an engineer that I knew what I was talking about, they were like putty in my hands. I could get through the rest of the closing. <laughs> well, that, that exactly is it. And, uh, you know, for us, I, I tell people I'm an engineer. And, and the most common response is uh, from other real estate agents. Is, oh, God, I hate working with engineers. You can't sell them anything. And I look <laughs> at them straight in the face and said, that's because you can't sell them anything. Um, ah. What happens is when you're doing your selling, this is the bedroom, this is the bathroom, blah, 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 this is the kitchen, you're interrupting the decision process. What you need to do is open the door, say, I'm going to let you look around. You don't need me to point out the kitchen and bathroom. If you, I'll be here. If you have any questions, come on back and we'll talk them over. And let them walk through the house and one of two things will always happen. It'll be, okay, what's next? Or what do we need to do to get it? And then you go into providing information. The other thing is I think a lot of realtors see their role as selling things. I've never seen my role as selling things. That's a byproduct. What's it a byproduct of? Providing buyers or sellers with the information so they can make the right decision. And then once you have that perspective, what happens is it doesn't matter whether they buy or sell. What matters is if they're happy with the decision that they have and that you, it's their house and their money and they're the decision makers. And it's our role to give them, to answer their questions and provide them the information. And also to say, I don't know when you don't know, because it'll show if, if you don't. And the last thing you want to do is give incorrect information a risk management attorney referred to it as be the source of a source, not the source. 
Meaning, if you want to find out more about what the zoning is, here's where you go to the Berkeley Zoning and Planning Department. But don't say, oh, yeah, if this is a duplex, you can put in an ADU. Then you then that monkey's on your shoulders and not the other people. And so that's part of it. The other thing is that the people who strike fear and dread into most real estate agents' hearts are doctors, attorneys, and engineers. And for me, it's like, this is they're putty in my hands. Because <laughs> what happens is all they, want, all they want is information. They don't want somebody giving a BS story. If And just as you pointed out with the APR, if you just say this, this is the APR and don't go into how it's calculated, it raises doubt and uh, maybe even suspicion. But you say, the, the thing I would do is say, here's the APR. I have to tell you, it looks nothing like the interest rate. And, and, and they'll say, yeah, that's right. And so, so let me tell you how it's calculated. And what they do is they take in all the costs. Let me know if I get this right. You take yeah. in all the costs and fees and wrap it into the loan costs. And then they amortize the loan and figure out what kind of interest rate do you have? What's the effective interest rate for all those fees included? And that's how you calculate the APR. So it's always going to be higher than the interest rate you're paying. How'd I do? You did great. Awesome, Ira. I, I expect nothing less. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, somehow, Ira, you get to Berkeley, but you're still working for Chevron. How do you decide real estate's your thing? Because you've been doing it now for a long time. Once again, through utter serendipity, growing up in the Bronx and having a rental, renting a place when I first moved to California, and I've always lived in Berkeley since 74, I, of course, knew that property was a crime. Uh, particularly owning rental property is the biggest crime of all. So how did I be? And I, I'm a black sheep in my family. I'm in real estate now, and I sell real estate, and I have rentals. You know, but I, I come from, I have anarchists in my family. I have a piano teacher who taught Yo-Yo Ma how to play the piano. I have people wow. who worked on the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. So where did I go wrong is really what you're asking me. Um <laughs> It was really interesting because I had a technician, Buckley Robertson, and Buckley had a five bucks and a seven bucks or something like that in Berkeley. He owned rentals. Now, remember, I grew up in a one-bedroom rent-controlled apartment in the Bronx and had always been a renter. And the idea of owning property is like maybe I had a family member who had it, but it was very, very unusual. So I was talking to Buckley and... It got me intrigued. And then this group called Lowry Nickerson, Bill Nickerson, I think he wrote the book, How to Go from $1,000 to $1 million in your spare time or something along those lines, teamed up with a guy named Al Lowry. And I gave a bunch of seminars and we're talking about in the uh, mid-70s, Robert Allen, Nothing Down. And so I started thinking about it. And then the seminar, we went to an introductory seminar in um, Marriott or whatever it was in the Berkeley Marina. And it was perhaps $500. You know, and $500 is a lot of money now. It was even way more money back in the mid-70s. But I was intrigued. So I teamed up with uh, a technician I was in my department, and Derek Ransley was a supervisor of me. And Derek went to the course, and then we shared the ideas. And that got me started. So in 19... So I went looking for a place, but... I, I couldn't afford a house, and so I was looking at two to four units and um, ended up buying a sevenplex in Berkeley, which I still own, and one by one finished every single apartment, turned it around. I've done 
painting, carpeting, vinyl, window replacement, glazing, and other properties. So not electrical, but plumbing. Just about everything you possibly can do. I know how to rehang double-hung windows. And so I respect the skills when people know how to do it right. And then I talk about decisive moments. Mm. I was in the, uh, my living room. The phone rang. And um, it was somebody saying, hi, I want to see your apartment. And I said, well, I'm leaving. I'm getting together with friends tonight. It's Friday night. So I'm going to go. She says, I've been trying to reach you all week. You wait until I, I get there. Okay. And she was in, uh, there's a woman, she was in Berkeley. Uh, I have a Berkeley BART station and I broke a rule and uh, we've been married 35 years now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I suppose you, you might say I have rent her with benefits, but uh, <laughs> it's been a, a extraordinary, wonderful run. And that was, if I had left the house 10 minutes later, it wouldn't have happened. So that was another literal one-minute phone call that changed the direction of life. And in this case, obviously, for the much better, because otherwise, I, otherwise my house would be uh, still an apartment, and my which my bookshelves would be cinder block shelves with boards on them. I've been to Berkeley a couple of times, mostly just on a quick trip over from the other side of the bay, right? Because yeah. because you know I want to go over there. I well, I went to an Oakland A's game. Uh, I took the Bard over. That was super cool, uh-huh. but. Talk, talk to me about Berkeley. It seems kind of quirky, super cool. You know, this this little, literally a little liberal bastion just kind of tucked into the corner of the bay. Yep. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm in the Bay Area, so we live in the bubble. I, I just love Berkeley. And yeah. uh, I never considered, I love the setting of San Francisco, but I never considered living there. Parking is terrible. It's foggy in most of the, much of the city most of the time, and uh, lots of concrete and not so many trees. Berkeley is the temperate climate. The food is superb, and with one exception, I finally found a place that's better food than Berkeley. Being liberal, uh, uh, I'm basically a yellow dog Democrat, and being liberal, I'm, I'm amongst my people, and it's just and it's it's a beautiful place to live with beautiful neighborhoods. When I first came here, I was living on South Side, which is south of campus, and I didn't realize how pretty most of Berkeley was because that's most of the apartment buildings. But we live in a house. I guess we would have a hundredth birthday coming up. The houses were built up in the twenties, most of it, and um, I was trying to figure out why the twenties. And then I realized a lot of building after the nineteen oh six earthquake. And then construction through the 20s. And then there's nothing until the 50s. And then I thought about it and it wasn't uh, light bulb went on. You had, you had the depression, so you wouldn't have built um, too much during the 30s. And then the war. So it jumped yeah. from the 20s to the 50s. And uh, we live in a Thousand Oaks neighborhood in North Berkeley. have been here over 35 years. And... Uh, my feeling if if you move in every seven years, like the statistics said, you your realtor probably sold you the wrong house. <laughs> you're you're trying to put people in their forever house early. <laughs> well, that's it. Which uh, and somebody said, Well, wait a minute, I'm not selling it. So it's okay. You get to tell everybody, all your friends about how wonderful they are and refer us to people. So yeah. it doesn't matter. We're we're in business for for long term. And yeah. and when that happens, you get clients like and this is this is one of the lessons for uh, other realtors is take great care of everybody. 
we sold a house literally around the corner from us, um, and we represented the sellers. But the buyers were so impressed by how we had the transaction that she referred us to her sister. Well, I'm going to forget some of the sales, but so we represented the seller on one house. The sister hired us to sell a house, bought a house, sold a house, bought a house. The people who bought the house bought another house from us. Then we sold their house. Then they referred us to someone else who bought a house and sold a house and someone else who bought a house. That's our record, but it's it's. That's cool. impressive. Yeah. 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 You know, you you have a, a blog, a website, berkeleyhomes.com. I think some people misunderstand the term blog today. You know, when it and you've been, you've had it for a long time. And so yeah. you've been a you're early in on this game, which is huge. Uh, and it's not just um, blog posts, so there are stories and words, but you you love photography. That is a massive passion of yours. It's very obvious when you uh, when you look at some of the things you've done and where some of your photos have ended up. And and by the way, I love the watermark. I, I think that more agents need to start doing that. Mm, um, thank you. You know, because I think it's so important, right, to understand that this this is my piece of work. This is what I did. Yeah. Um, so let's talk talk about. The, the blog, getting it going, when the uh, how easy was it? I'm sure it was super simple for you, but to incorporate the photography and and then wrap that up with giving you a lot here. Okay. Is it too late to start blogging? Is it too late for a new realtor? Well, uh, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The yeah. second past best time to plant a tree is today. In 20 years, you don't want to, want to look back and say, gee, I wish I had started that 20 years ago. I want to come back to the logo because I use some heavy-handed logos and there's an organization called photologo.co, not .com, but .co. They did it for me. And it's, it's a beautiful logo, and I learned that from my friend Alan Ma. And I'll come back to Alan Ma when we talk about cyber stars. Ted Takami, this would have been late 80s, early 90s, said, hey, I know you're a tech guy. I want to show you something. And they said, oh, yeah, right. Uh, so I went to him, and he showed me something, and he brought up uh, – probably the Mosaic browser. And I said, this is the World Wide Web. And I went, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was interesting because his first reaction was, what a great sales tool this is. And I had a Malcolm Gladwell blink moment. I said, this is not a sales tool. This is about neighborhood and community. This is designed for buyers. And of course, now it's sellers. But um, I started thinking about it when I had taken one buyer around to half a dozen different neighborhoods to show them what made it unique. And I said, there's got to be a better way. So I started taking pictures. And um, so that's how I started. So I think I had my first website up. I truly don't know, but it might have been late 80s, but likely early 90s. And, and blogging, I actually am not particularly fond on, and I've never really gotten into the, as much as I take photos, I've never really gotten into the rhythm of Instagram because all the photos I like to take, I'm editing on the computer. I'm not doing it on my phone. And um, so it's like doing it on phone and Instagram, it's like four or five different clicks on a phone. It's, I just never really have gotten into the flow of it. So I blog intermittently, and although I spend an undue amount of my life on social media, I'm not convinced it isn't a big fat waste of time, uh, except for connecting with friends and people. I've gotten some business at it. I know there are great trainers out there, like Katie Lance will show you how to do it right, and Julie is Chancho Zemelis in Hawaii is doing an astonishing job, but it's like 
it's never quite inspired me. I'd rather work on the website and and show neighborhoods and community. And then, uh, and then I have other sites that I do for my photography, like Circes.com, S-E-R-K-E-S.com. Yeah, so it's it's not. I, I tell people all the time, it's it's not required. It's not mandatory that you become an expert on social. It is an, It is required to become an expert on building relationships and talking to people and helping yeah. them. Yeah. But, but but that said, I absolutely think it's really critically important that everybody have a website and not a company site. You need to have an email that you control, not Joe Blow at Joe, at xyzrealestate.com, because when you leave XYZ Real Estate, and you likely will, you don't want your email to be lost. Yeah. And um, I'll give you a very simple example. I mentioned uh, Cuban Union or Living Trust. We're updating it. I asked my financial advisor for some referrals, and she gave me two. And then I Googled, as everybody does, what can I find out about them? What I, I Googled the phone number, the name, the address. I checked out Yelp reviews, and one of them had nothing. Hmm. And the other one had a website, and so that's interesting. And then on the website, they had a tab, which like made, warmed the cockles of my heart. It said, pet trust. Wow. And I said, hey, there's somebody who speaks my language, because I can check them out. And uh, they were referred, but the fact that two people were referred and one I can find nothing about, uh, it would made an easy decision for me. And that's actually another tip for agents is that don't try to be all things to all people. If that person talked about other things, I probably wouldn't, uh, you know, would have gone to someone who had more interest of of my interest. But yeah. she talked to things that were exactly for me. So we tell people we'll go anywhere in California, represent any buyer or any seller for any kind of property. It just has to be a single family home, condo, or small units within uh, three to five miles of our house in Berkeley. And everything else we refer. Are we losing business that way? Yeah, but, you know, so what? I, uh, we have enough to, uh, to be happy. And then I place referrals. And referrals to other agents are the most dollar-productive activity you could ever ever do. Uh, Dr. Fred Gross talks about that concept, DPA, dollar productive activity. Now, here's the example. I'll get 25% of somebody's commission by making a one or two minute phone call or email. Uh, so let's say the average commission might be $25,000. So I can get $5,000 for two minutes of time. So 5,000 times... Uh, 30 is $150,000 an hour. <laughs> yeah. I, I know some agents who specialize in, in that. And I think I've talked to some other agents that look that guy, if you do it, if you have a database built the right way, when you decide to really slow down, that's just an annuity. <laughs> You're just well, generating that actually is precisely how I expressed it. Uh, my initial plan, I'll come back to Cook Union, was to donate my website to them. Mm. But then I realized, you know, they don't have a wherewithal to uh, to handle the leads. It, it, it's not it's not their strength. And so uh, rather than that, we have another plan. But I described exactly that. People talk about selling their business. I think that's a terrible idea. What you do is you maintain your business and refer it out to agents. And as long as they're doing a, uh, you know, responsive and sending you referral fees, just 
keep that annuity going. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, selling a business, all you want to do is be of a once again, be of a source. And I would say, hey, I got somebody referred to Bill. I've got a referral for you. And you just, we've got a long-standing agreement. You pay me a referral fee, and you'll probably do a Venmo transfer now rather than sending <laughs> me a check. And, uh, yeah. and so I, I do encourage people to build a business and to never sell it, but to refer out the leads if yeah. they decide they don't want to do it actively themselves. Ira, you were uh, early in in the CyberStars world. Yeah. And I've, I've heard about him for, for years. Tell me about that organization. Oh, I'm going to nominate Alan Haynes, who's now departed, uh, for sainthood. He brought together uh, – I'm getting a book out of the library, Doris Kearns Goodwin, a, a team of rivals. And it wasn't exactly the same thing, but Alan put together a team of not rivals, but sharers. Uh, they weren't rivals because he was careful about not having people from the same market area but people who are willing to share. And I've made absolutely positively in real estate land my, my strongest and best friends uh, from that. I've learned from people extraordinary, uh, Judy McCutcheon and Alice Held, and uh, people go way back. And then I uh, found my uh, brother from another mother, Alan Ma, who I'd met. We communicated online for years on the CyberStars group. And, I was so impressed he was involved in the development in China. And after the development was done, this is right after the tsunami in uh, Southeast Asia. I think it was yeah. Thailand. Um, yeah. The company he was with donated a water desalinization plant so people would have fresh water. This is incredible. Uh, me and Rob Levy and Alice Held and Joe Lineker uh, were all there at the creation of it in uh in a tech conference in Santa Fe, New Mexico, we said, let's, let's do something. And that, that was the impetus. We're sitting in the lobby and couldn't Alan to do it. Well, anyway, so I went up to Alan Ma in, uh, in that first meeting in Phoenix. And I walked over to him and said, I've been looking forward to meeting you for a long time. And he looked at me, he said, me too, me too. And it's been off to the races. Alan, uh, I have two brothers, my, my brother, one brother's in Long Island, and the other one was born in Singapore, and um, he uh, now lives in Vancouver. And he's a great photographer, and uh, being from Singapore, he likes to visit Singapore and his family. So we've done, we've been to Alaska, the Yukon Territory, Vancouver, Singapore, Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar, Japan, Xi'an, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Macau, Kuala Lumpur, and even Berkeley Bowl Marketplace in West Berkeley together. <laughs> he, he's great. also trained as a chef. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, wow. but, but wait, there's more. He, he's also shared his tarot with me and that I have not yet uh, ordered any bespoke shorts or T-shirts. He's the only person I can stand next to and look like I'm wearing Saville Row clothing. <laughs> <laughs> He's also brilliantly smart and amazingly productive. That's great. You, it sounds like somebody I need to get on the show is what it sounds oh, yeah, like. <laughs> you, do. you do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll hook up with you on that. Um, we're, we're getting, we're, I've had you here a long time, I, 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 but I have to ask you this question. I, I, I never, I've never found a realtor master Yelp like you and Carol have. Most oh. agents fail miserably there and don't understand how it works. How did you do that? 
You know, I think what happened, you have to plant the seed in their, in their mind from the very beginning. Uh, okay. Yelp doesn't like you asking people to review them. But mm-hmm. I think if you, the very thing I do when I meet with a buyer or seller, I send, I send them my reviews and I said, we're looking to you being our 51st five-star Yelp review, which I think is yeah. probably within the terms of service. Uh, and, um, and so you get them thinking about it. The thing that goes hand in hand with that is testimonial letters. And often say, sellers or buyers will say, oh, you write it, I'll sign it. And I said, no, nope, can't do that. First, it, it's not right. But secondly, the real reason is they'll say way better things about me than I'd ever say about myself. And so what we've also done is use those letters. I being an, here's my inner engineer coming out. I set up a database of the letters and I went through each one and said, what are the qualities that they appreciated in me? Advice, analysis, negotiation, sense of humor, et cetera. And from that, we've built our marketing plan around the qualities of people, why they chose us. And, uh, and that goes back to, uh, I think, what uh, Howard Britton, another great person, said, you know, it's your, it's your business, it's your parking lot, you draw the stripes, you tell people where to park, which is another way of saying you want people who are attracted to you, not people who, just because you're they want to buy or sell a house, that's insufficient grounds for you deciding to work with them. And that brings me to another story. Got time for another story? Yeah, absolutely. So answer the phone. Ring, ring, ring. Hi, this is Iris Syracuse in Berkeley. How may I help you? And the guy says, hi, this is Dr. So-and-so. And I'm going, strike one in my mind. <laughs> now, I work with lots of really smart people, people whose uh, family members won Nobel Prizes, people who are authors. You know, just work with really smart people. And the common thing that they have, the thing they have in common is that almost all of them are nice. But this guy, it was like, when somebody says they're a doctor, and we work with lots of doctors, you know, and cardiologists and people who are in charge of departments. And so... You know, we're respectful of their expertise, but also they don't say this is Dr. So-and-so. So I'm talking to him for after about a minute or two, and I said, you know, I have to tell you, based on how this conversation is going, I think I'm the wrong realtor for you, which I think is a little bit more graceful than saying I think you're a complete ass. And and he was nonplussed. He was like, wow, oh, okay. And then he hung up, and then he called me back. I said, well, that's interesting. Maybe we can pull it together. And he, I, hi, this is Iris Serkis. And he said, well, I hadn't meant to call you back, but now that I got you on the phone, you're, you're, who the hell do you think you are? Some CEO of a big major company. Who are you telling me what I should do or not do? And you should go back to engineering because you're never, ever, ever going to be a success in sales. You should be ashamed of yourself. And if we had FaceTime at that time, he would have seen the biggest grin on my face because I had completely <laughs> nailed this personality. And, and the story to that is uh, for any, any agent with a new role, you can't afford to take on a client that doesn't trust you or respect you. You have to identify who they are. And if you can't identify them right away, finish it up as soon as you possibly can because they suck your energy from the ones who know you, love you, and trust you. Yeah. Uh, Ira, I, I finish every episode with the same question, and that's, and you might have just given me the answer, but I'm sure you have another one. What what one piece of advice 
do you have for a new agent just starting in the business? Well, the first piece of advice is don't pay attention to, listen to the questions, but don't necessarily answer them uh, in the way they're asked. So I have many pieces of advice. Uh, the first thing I would say is buy the book Ninja Selling by uh, Larry Kendall and take the class. It is, of all the classes I've taken, it's the best class I've ever taken, and I've taken a bunch. The second thing is, one, it'll take you a while before, sooner or later you're going to recognize that real estate is not your life. It simply funds it. And uh, look into the concept of regret minimization framework. That is uh, something Jeff Bezos brought up when somebody asked him, you had a high-paying job in Wall Street. Why did you decide to leave it and, um, and start Amazon? And he said he imagined he was 80 or 90 years old, looking back on his life, and he sets out to minimize his regrets. And he knew that if he had stayed, not tried to start the business Amazon, he would have always wished he had. And if he stayed on, he would have had you know, a good paying job, but he always would have regretted not doing it. So that's the regret minimization framework. Yeah. Uh, other thing is real estate is not life and death. Uh, the other thing that's extremely important, absolutely positively do not strive to have a balanced life. I think it is a horrible concept and a horrible idea that must be developed by psychologists and psychiatrists to make people feel guilty. Bill, if, if you have in front of a convention, at a meeting hall, and you ask people, raise your hand if you have a balanced life, and there are a thousand people in that meeting hall, how many people would raise their hand? A hundred. Bingo. So that means 90% of the people in that meeting room are feeling guilty because they don't have a balanced life. Here's the idea. Seek harmony rather than balance. If you were to take a pen and balance it on your finger, you can put it off balance by simply blowing on the pen. But harmony, think of a harmonic motion. Think of a pendulum. There are times when you need to be one side of the pendulum, and there's a times you need to be the other side of the pendulum. There are times you need to be working long, hard hours, at work, and at times you need to be spending time with your family. But what happens, it always goes back to the center. And so just recognize that there are times when you have to do one, times you have to do the other. And for me, like if I'm out in Berkeley taking pictures with my camera, am I working? Yes. Am I playing? Yes. It's the same thing. I think the idea of setting boundaries for me is like I've never understood that. I work when I need to work, I play when I need to play. And uh, and uh, one of the things we particularly value and cherish is travel. And w it wasn't planned this way, but I look back on one year and including the United States, I was in 12 different countries. Um, mm. And that we're now in November. We're uh, month, what, 10, nine or 10 of uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there, a friend of mine posted on Facebook, what travels do you long for? And I thought about it very little. And I said, I don't long for anything. I'm wistful that I was supposed to be in India and Nepal. But we seized the opportunity to travel when we could. We didn't wait until another time. And it might be travel for some. It could be doing something with family or camping. I use travel as just an example. Mm -hmm. But basically do what's important and uh, – and really, you know, today's a, a present, so that's why it's called the present. You literally, and we've seen it this year, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We've both lived through 2020, and we know what that's like. So 
seize the opportunity and uh, and recognize that this real estate is not your life, just it funds it. And finally, in conclusion, I would say create memories more than acquiring things. Uh, most of the time, uh, Karen, when, when Karen and I are talking, if we're not going to have business, we're talking about our do you remember when we went to Machu Picchu <laughs> or when we yeah. flew over the Nazca lines in Peru or we saw the baby elephants in Kenya? Uh, reliving those memories and most utterly priceless, whereas uh, things uh, this week, it's been a flurry of, oh, I got the new iPhone 12. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think back of it, the excitement of the iPhone 12 is any different from the iPhone 10 or 8 or 6 or 4. Don't judge your happiness by things. Uh, just create memories that you can look back on because the things, after you get them, you know, they don't have the same power that a memory or a, a whiff of a slide rule might have. Ira, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, thank you. Um, my name is Ira Serkis. I-R-A-S-E-R-K-E-S. Our website is berkeleyhomes.com. That's B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y-H-O-M-E-S.com. My cell phone is 510-684-3334. And email is Serkis, S-E-R-K-E-S, at berkeleyhomes.com. And last but not least, if you want to see uh, photos from my adventures, Go visit Cirque's, S-E-R-K-E-S, dot com. Berkeley, California, Berkeley, Albany, Kensington, El Cerrito, San Francisco, East Bay, and we'll turn you on to the best place for pizza, best pizza west of Lexington Avenue when you come visit. <laughs> I love it. Ira, it has been super fun hearing your stories and going through your, really, your journey. Uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time with oh. us, and uh, I can't wait to meet you in person. It's, you're one of my... One of the people I connected with on social, it's going to be a decade easily. And we've never met, but this is wonderful. And one we day will. we will. Well, that's the nice thing. It's the same thing like Alan. I mean, I was talk, connecting with him for uh, probably two or three years before we met in person. So uh, we'll make it so. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE Sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to therealestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released. Music.